You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, so we had our last application Sunday back at the beginning of June. And so if you're visiting with us today for the first time or if you're visiting with us for the uh, second or third time and you've never been a part of an application Sunday, then we do these every six to eight weeks and it's a time for us to just pause and to reflect uh, we do breakfast together. Sometimes we do lunch just as an opportunity for extended fellowship. Sometimes we don't always get to connect with each other because we come in, um, we, we sing, we, we, we study, we worship, and then we leave. And sometimes we don't get to connect with everybody because maybe we're in different small groups and whatnot. And so this is just a chance for us to have extended times for us to connect with people that we don't always get to connect to in our church family. Um, but then it's also a time for us to not go into new material, but to go back through some old material and make sure that we're doing something with what we're learning. And so what we're looking at today are the sermons that we've talked about since the beginning of June, and then particularly trying to bring out the application points from those sermons and giving you a chance to uh, share and encourage uh, each other through ways that you're already applying it uh, in hopes that it will bring about further application for people that maybe have not yet. Okay, and so we're going to do that again together today. Um, And so we're going to look at John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. These are the two chapters that we have covered um, over the past couple of weeks. We're not going to take time to read both these chapters because they're they're, they're more of the lengthy chapters um, that we've looked at recently. But just to kind of remind ourselves of where we've been in these two chapters. John chapter 6 starts out with the feeding of the 5,000. We then move into the the walking on water uh, that Jesus um, demonstrates to his disciples. Um, And then that leads into the discussion of him being the bread of life. Um, And so there's that lengthy teaching where Jesus begins to call his followers to feast upon himself, to, to eat of his flesh and to drink of his blood. And we we examined the, the confusion around those statements and how it leads uh, many of his disciples to no longer follow him at the end of the passage uh, in John chapter 6, and then how Peter and some of the other disciples firm up their faith by saying that they aren't going to leave Jesus, that despite his teachings being difficult maybe to grasp, that they have identified him as one who possesses the words of eternal life. And then last week we started to delve into John chapter 7, where it begins with Jesus's brothers trying to get him to go publicly to the Feast of Booths and to reveal himself as the Messiah. Jesus instead goes privately, uh, ends up at the the festivities, and begins to teach once again in a public way, Uh, does it in the context of the living water and how the people are remembering how God provided for them in the Old Testament, and Jesus begins to reveal once again that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the living water. And so Jesus uh, presents himself in that manner. Um, And then we talked about how there's attempts to arrest him, there's attempts to to seize control of him, but uh, evil cannot carry out its purposes, that it's not the correct timetable uh, for Jesus to die. And so um, the Pharisees are unsuccessful in in trying to arrest him. And so there's people that are converted at the end of chapter 7. There are people that continue to push back against Jesus' 
teachings as well. So let's look back at some of the things that we've learned in John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. We started with that feeding of the 5,000. And that week we said that Jesus creates intentional opportunities for us to appropriate the knowledge we gain about him into our daily lives, especially by leading us into encounters with earthly problems that require heavenly solutions. I had the chance to reteach this passage to our teachers this week during our orientation time. Um, And so we looked at Jesus being the master teacher who communicates truth and then gives opportunity for us to be tested in that truth. And so uh, Jesus talks about how he has put the disciples and the crowds in this situation, particularly to test um, Philip, to challenge Philip's faith. And Philip is the one who is questioned as to whether or not there is anywhere to buy food for these uh, multitudes of people, and, and how are we going to provide lunch for them, right? And Philip looks at every earthly solution possible, um, and then comes back with a response to Jesus that there's nowhere to purchase the food, there's not enough money to purchase it even if there was a place, and they've basically asked everybody in the crowds what they brought with them to see if there's enough to share, and there's not, right? And so there's this great earthly problem, and there seems to be no earthly solution, And there's kind of a hopelessness about the disciples versus a turning to Jesus in faith and trust, right? And so um, Jesus ends up demonstrating this miracle without being asked, uh, but instead provides for the people. And what I challenged my teachers with uh, this week is that in failing the test, Jesus doesn't give up on the student, that he uses the failure of the test to keep teaching, And so he makes the disciples distribute the food so that it connects with them for the next time that, hey, when we need something, we can go to Jesus because we had to distribute all this food to 5,000 plus people. And Jesus made us collect all the leftovers so that there was clear evidence to them that these people didn't just get a snack. They had an all-you-could-eat buffet, right? Because as they were trying to solve the problem, they were even saying, we don't even have enough money to buy a snack, Right? And Jesus says, well, I've got enough power to provide an all-you-can-eat buffet. Right? So Jesus creates opportunities for us to have to use the knowledge that's been given to us in our daily lives. And so he does that by giving us earthly problems that require heavenly solutions. Gave you a couple of truths from this passage. We can trust God daily to provide for our physical and spiritual needs, and we will always be confronted with problems that are too big for human solutions, but are never too big for Jesus's power. So the application question that I want us to kind of ponder here for a second, because I'm anticipating that since we taught this back at the beginning of June, that there's potentially been some times where we've had opportunities to be tested, to apply the knowledge that we're learning into our daily lives. Maybe we have faced situations, earthly problems that require heavenly solutions. So the question I want us to ask and discuss a little bit. Has anyone had a recent opportunity for their faith to be tested, and you feel like you passed by trusting God when human solutions seemed inadequate? So anybody that could share just kind of a testimony about a recent situation where you feel like you did uh, get put in a spot where your faith was tested, and you were able to appropriate the knowledge that we've gained over the past couple of weeks, and you were able to turn very quickly to Jesus in a state of trust um, versus being overwhelmed by the lack of earthly solutions and not necessarily turning things over to God as quickly as we could. Anybody have a situation like that where 
you felt like you were put in a situation, your faith was tested, and not in a prideful way, but, but just in an honest way where you say, hey, I think, I think I was able to do what we've been talking about. I feel like I was able to apply some of this knowledge into this situation, and I was able to trust and see uh, God come through in this situation when there weren't earthly solutions, maybe. Anybody have a situation like that? Yep. Um, I wouldn't say we passed, but we probably failed less miserably than we did. We had a really rough week this week, just uh, Taylor's mom was dealing with some health stuff and was unable to watch Elliot uh, the majority of the week. So it just caught a lot of the logistical hurdles with Taylor working in Jackson, maybe in McDonough, and just trying to find childcare for the week. Um, and in the past, that really would have led us straight into despair uh, more so than it did. Uh, I think our response time wasn't as quick as what we wanted to be, but it was less, uh, it was quicker than it would have been in the past six months ago, a year ago. We were encouraged by that. Awesome. <coughs> Others? So I'm trying to get in contact with uh, an operator who I'm wanting to work for for a little while. And I just felt really convicted about it. Like I needed to text him, so I texted him. And I was like, hey, you need to text me again. I was like, okay, I'm going to text him again. And like no answer. And then like the third time, it's like, you need to text him. I'm like, okay, you need to text him again. Um, and then I ended up texting him four different times over the course of a month. And I was just like, I feel like a major idiot. But I also feel like this is, you know, what I'm being led to do. And like the fourth <coughs> time I texted him, probably about, I don't know, 12, 14 hours later, he texts back, he's like, Hey, sorry, I interested. Right, like no punctuation, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. And so then, in, in never mind. Yeah, but then within a day, you know, I sat down and had breakfast with him. We had a really good conversation. So um, I think it was just one of those like it would have been easier for me to say, okay, cool, close the door. I'm gonna go try and do something that makes more sense. Um, but it turned out. Yeah. Someone uh. We are in the process of paying for Philip's first year of school, and that's always fun. And uh, it came out to about $3,500 more than we had planned. And so we were talking with him about it. I said, look, we just need to pray. We need to get together and just see what the Lord does, what he provides for us. And about 24 hours later, he had the coach offer him a position, paid position to string rackets throughout the year just kind of in his spare time and that and another often pretty much covered the whole shortfall awesome that's pretty cool that's really cool to hear so i really my 10 year old is nudging me because she's seen (laughs) this happen um for me in the last several well a couple months actually um i would not normally want to share out loud (laughs) but because she's noticing this I want to be able to um, follow her lead but um, just in looking for a new job right now and what I'm leaving what I'm going into um, there's a lot of circumstances that have been happening that just don't make any sense to me there's been days where like why is this changing now after I've made this decision and um, and I'm just being reminded over and over that the Lord is my constant. My faith is the one that's bouncing back and forth. Um, but his leading this whole process is 100% on point. And it's my faith in following that and letting him lead um, that just 
keeps being reminded over and over in very tangible ways to just draw back to him and that truth. Even there's nothing that makes sense yet, um, but just knowing that it will at some point. Um, so I'm learning that almost on a daily basis. Awesome. Uh, it's more of an ongoing test. I, I haven't seen the end of it yet, but you know, recently I lost my job and just been trusting that he's working in the background with things that I can't see, um, staying strong until the fourth watch. So every sermon that you've preached has really just been encouraging, and it's really, if I hadn't been here, I'd be in a very different place. So I'm able to use what you've taught and apply that to my life every single day. I'm not over here pulling my hair out, freaking out. I'm able to just say, you know what, he's, he's working. I just have to trust him, and he will provide. Yeah. Awesome. So right after you preached this sermon and the next one, I think even either this week or the next week, you even prayed like God, prepare us for these storms, and thank you for the storms you're going to bring. And Tyson and I were joking, kind of like, oh, I wonder what storm we're going to go through. <laughs> And we found out that week that um, he has some problems. He's got a condition with his eyes where he, long-term, is going to end up potentially losing his eyesight. Like, it's this weird thing. And that week when we found out, it was right after you taught on these things. And me, in my mind, I started going to, oh, my goodness, he's going to have to quit teaching. And I'm going to have to get a job. We're going to have to mortgage our house and move back in with our parents. And I started freaking out. And... Him, of course, he's like, this is the storm that the Lord's bringing us. Like, we trust and rely on him. And then through seeing his faith in the Lord through that, and then to my accountability friends being like, you know what, look, if you do have to work, God's going to provide a job for you. And, like, if the Lord is bringing this and made his body to be this way and have this condition, like, the Lord's going to provide for you. So it's, it was really encouraging to me to be encouraged by your teaching, encouraged by the Word, and also encouraged by the people that they're closest to us that need us. Follow up on that. I had a specialist appointment last week and she basically said it was nothing as nothing is compared to what the original doctor said it was. We don't really need to worry about it. All right, let's look at the next one. We um, <clears throat> moved forward in John chapter 6 and looked at the walking on the water account and it said that um, we must trust Jesus and his good plan during life storms, realizing that oftentimes the storm is designed to protect us from greater danger while helping us come to know him in a deeper manner. And so we talked about the, the positive ways that God uses storms in our life, um, that oftentimes they are maybe less dangerous than had the storm not come to us. Um, and that oftentimes we come out on the other side knowing him in a deeper manner. And so we said that the disciples on the beach were around a bunch of people who wanted to seize Jesus and make him king, and the disciples are still immature enough in their faith to probably jump on that mindset that they were very um, interested in the the, the power piece that kind of came with Jesus there for a little bit. You know, they're, they're even bickering about who gets to sit next to Jesus and kind of be his right-hand man at times. And so probably would have been a very tempting situation to follow the, the lead of the crowd there and, and try to talk Jesus into being king. And so Jesus removes them from that situation and puts them in the middle of the, the sea where there's a storm. 
And if you're not careful, you look at that and say, Where, where's God's goodness at? Why is he not taking care of me? Why is he putting me in this dangerous situation? Bigger picture, we see he actually removed them from a more dangerous situation, and that was a, a temptation for their pride to potentially uh, shipwreck their faith, right? And so he removes them from that. And so we talked about the good aspects of, of what it looks like to be in a storm and how we get to know God in a deeper manner from that. Um, we said that when going through storms, be quick to pray for help, believing that he sees and will respond. And then when going through storms, don't lose hope in the fourth watch, just like what Joe was talking about. He always comes, keep expecting it. And so, uh, you know, it was hours in that night that they're battling the storm before Jesus actually shows up to calm the storm. And so um, that week we had talked about encouraging people that we knew who were going through storms. And so I'd love to hear from you guys. Have you been able to do that? Have you been able to intentionally encourage anyone lately who's been going through a storm? What did you maybe do to try to offer some encouragement? And then secondly, have you been encouraged lately by someone in our church while you were in the midst of a storm? Has anybody been able to to speak encouragement or or, or do something encouraging for you while you were going through a storm? So any feedback in regards to those two pieces, how you've tried to be an encouragement and then maybe how you've received encouragement during the midst of, of uh, storms in your life right now. Yeah. Um, I've tried to be super intentional um, since you said that about, you know, whoever needs prayer, who's ever on a prayer list, just to text them or just to reach out or even, you know, somebody in our accountability group trying to reach out to them. Um, and doing that, um, and then just people, people at work too, people at work that I know that are going through and just you know, taking extra time to talk to them, um, just to be there for them. And um, you know, ever since a month ago, when um, I came here, I was just having a really bad day about kind of all the things I've realized with Elliot and kind of what Andrew and I've been going through. That I think every single person has reached out to me in some way. Um, and I was telling, um, I think I've told several people this, but I was telling Sarah this earlier this week that you know God is so good, and that even though in my life, maybe I have not had um, the kind of people or even the kind of family that I thought that I needed, but the Lord has provided someone at every stage of my life of exactly what I need and and what we need um, in this season of, um, once we came here and we both got saved, I mean, every single one of you, all of you have given us that encouragement all, all the time. And like Andrew said, this past week, everyone has just been so willing and so kind just to reach out to watch Elliot. Um, who have 55 kids on their own. Um, have just been so willing to help us and encourage us and talk to us and meet with us and just gone through so much effort to just show that um, we are loved and we are um, important to them. Yeah, I'm right there with her. Um, I know I lost my job uh, about a month ago, and when I told the church about that, I literally probably had 15 guys texting me, texting, calling, um, offering opinions, um, and it was kind of like one of those things where, like, it's good to hear all these great messages, but when, it's, when it actually comes time to, like, you know, this stuff's real life, it's time to apply what we've been learning, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit different. Um, God's done a great work in, in keeping us, allowing us to be faithful, to be, to reach out and receive support from others. And 
you know, by his grace, he has he has blessed them with a job. But people just, I mean, even to this day, like we, when we were just over there eating, Tyson and and just so many people throughout the church just asking me, how's your new job? And, you know, uh, is, it, is, it, is it working out all right? How's your hours? Just the things that with the problems that were that I was having with the old job. The little things, just rem- remembering those things, you know, make, and it was just, it was very encouraging to know that people actually listen, really care. You know, we've been visiting here for about six months, six, seven months, I don't know. And uh, the encouragement that we have received is, it's not like anything else. So, yeah, we definitely, we definitely received it. Yes, just in my new job, I never thought I'd be doing as a chaplain for a hospice. You know, people and their family dynamics and everything are in the midst of a storm every day. And and some, you know, some are nonverbal that I visit. You know, so I have been amazed by God's continuous continuous guidance and those relationships that are nonverbal, whether a smile is there or you know, an eye twitch or whatever, but um, it's you see people that have Christ and have the peace uh, passing away and then you see the others that are truly fearing <clears throat> death and so it's just um, been very humbling. Um, and I just, you know, in Uganda I always, you know, built relationships and then shared the gospel. And the Lord is extremely stretching me because I'm not one to just go up to somebody. I mean, it took me six months to share with <coughs> one of the guys just because I wanted to build relationships in Uganda. And now they're dying. So. You know, I I have to do it on that day. Mm-hmm. And so he um, continually guides. All right. All right, let's look at the next one. This comes from John chapter 6, and we look specifically at verse 26, where it says, uh, <clears throat> after the, the people had found him on the other side, after the walking on the water, uh, they come to him and, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so we talked about the people were wanting to follow Jesus because he was satisfying them. He was filling their bellies. And so we talked about what it means to trust him when our bellies aren't full, that he he addresses them with the fact that you're only here because you're satisfied. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And so We said this week that Jesus works in our life with the goal of having us trust him, not only in times of plenty, but also in times of great need, so that we learn to hope in him always, which brings great glory to God. And um, it was in this sermon that we talked about four four things to, to remember to keep us encouraged during the storms of life, that to remember that God works everything for his glory, that that everything's going to come together for for his glory. And then we said to number two, remember that hard times result in our good. So you have both sides there, God's glory and our good coming from the ways that God works. And ultimately, it is good for us to see his glory as the best outcome for any situation. And we got that from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I want to read that for us again. 
um, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what we learn from this passage is that we are saved, we are justified by faith, we have peace with God, and then in this journey of sanctification, God is using times of suffering so that we can endure, so that we can develop character, so that ultimately hope can be produced in our life. And, and what, what are we hoping in? Well, we find out what we're hoping in from this passage, that we are hoping in the glory of God. And so it's um, a sign of maturity when we can get to the point to where our greatest hope is not in our personal satisfaction, that, that our greatest hope in life is God receiving the glory that he deserves. And we can trust that he is working everything for those purposes, right? So remember God works everything for his glory. Remember that hard times result in our good. Remember that ministry opportunities flow from our experiences, that oftentimes we are put in difficult situations so that we can then be used by God to help others who are in similar situations. And then the fourth truth that I gave you was to remember that God's promises are sufficient to sustain us, that it's the promises that we hang on to. Remember I told you that it was Paul in that uh, account in the shipwreck uh, story in the book of Acts where in the midst of that storm, he tells the people on board that everything is going to be okay. And his reason for believing that is because God had promised him that he would have to appear in Rome. And that had not occurred yet. And so he was relying on a previous promise to get him through a present day storm that God has to fulfill this. God has to do this, right? So we said that to get through our own storms, we have to remember that God works everything for his glory. Hard times result in our good. Ministry opportunities come from these experiences and that God's promises can help sustain us through those times. And so the question that I want us to kind of look at real quick is, has anyone been able to see the truthfulness of these truths in your own life recently? Has anybody been able to see God's glory coming uh, as a result of a difficult situation? Or has anybody been able to see your own good come as a result of some hard times that you've had to go through? Or maybe some ministry opportunities have popped up recently where you were able to help somebody else going through a difficult situation because you had previously gone through something similar? Um, or have you been able to really cling to a specific promise recently to help carry you through um, something that you're going through right now? So any, any new thoughts to maybe add to some things that we've already shared? Yep. Well, mine's not new, but I've always um, enjoyed the Old Testament, as you know, in the book of Habakkuk. Everybody's familiar with Habakkuk? Um, Chaldeans were coming. They were going to take over the city. They were going to wipe people out. And um, so he was struggling with God over how can you let this be? If you're a good God, how can this be? And the very end, um, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive um, may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the field, and there be no herd on the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I will join the God of my salvation. And there's been times in my life that that was very real to me. Um, when I found out that you know, it's been great that you've got church friends that will encourage you and, you know, build you up. But there's times you'll find yourself without anybody. 
and you'll find that when you have nothing left but Jesus, He is sufficient for all your needs. And I actually personalize this. Uh, it says, though the fig tree may not blossom, means I have no income. Though the fruit, uh, there be no fruit on the vines, my pantry is empty. Though the labor of the olive may fail, I have no work, no fruit. Though the fields may yield no food, uh, though the flock be cut off from the field, I'll be all alone. There's no one to help. There'll be no herd in the stalls. There's no hope for any help coming. Uh, I will still rejoice in the Lord my God. He is my rock and my salvation. And, uh, I think that once you've learned that for real, then, you know, um, you can face anything that comes your way when you know that Jesus is sufficient, that his promises are true. He has your best interest at heart, whether, you know, as Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is Christ, and to die is gain. And uh, I think that um, it helps you to face what's coming for you but I think it helps you see a bigger picture in the world that, you know, stuff happens and um, we're not here to feel good. It's, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to the Holy God. That's awesome. That's a good word. Anybody else have thoughts to add? Yeah. Um, I think we, we were in nursery the Sunday that you preached this um, particular sermon, um, but I remember listening to the podcast while driving and, and just um, really loving it. And then it, in my own study, um, kept stumbling over glory to God, glory to God, and all things like that seemed to just at the time be and has continued to be just a theme in everything I read and everything I listen to. Um, even focus on the family podcast like everything's just been um, very much glory to God in every situation type theme um, and so it's just it changes the outlook and uh, I remember we had um, right around that same time we had a um, not so pretty brother moment at our house <laughs> and um, I was able to um, to share that with with both of them um, separately and, and just talk about, you know, um, God's already forgiven what just happened between the two of you guys and, you know, keep your eyes on the cross and, you know, even this fight is in some, somehow in this fight God will be glorified and it's how you, how you take it further, how you forgive each other, um, whether or not the other asks for forgiveness or, or tells you that he's sorry, but just in how you forgive and how you change your heart in this and, and see your own peace rather than how you've been sinned against um, in this situation. Um, but somehow, somehow God will be glorified even in this brought that you just had. And um, they were both really receptive to it and I think appreciated that conversation and um, I think diffused the situation fairly well. Um, and I think they might have gotten along a little better. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, work situation going on for a pretty lengthy amount of time. It's been an interesting case because there's this <coughs> investigation going on. So I know there's going to be a decision rendered at some point. So in the midst of that, I've had a lot of time to think about what that decision is going to end up being, what it's going to be curvy for the people I work with, for people that we that are work under us. Um, and to think about the truth of 
whatever it's going to be that he's working for his glory and for my good but preparing myself that whatever that looks like in practice may not be what I would perceive to be my good but trusting whenever it does come down that anyway, that that I'm my thinking is futile in a lot of ways that if it doesn't look exactly like how I picture it should to trust even in that situation that is coming to the close and it actually did work out just like that that, that we're just going to have a lot of changes changes that good things but not exactly how I picture it playing out um, it's going to cause a lot of upheaval and a, a new challenges but still trusting in that that, that it's going to result in my good and the good things will come and then for example it will so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, with this new job, um, there's a guy I work with. His name's Rodney. He's, uh, I think he's like 52, 53 years old. Anyways, he's divorced, and uh, he doesn't like always talk about his divorce. But it's like every time I say something, like we work together every day. So like every time I say something has anything to do outside of work, it's like his divorce gets brought up. And uh, they've been aboard like eight years. Anyways, um, so there was one. This one day we were we were riding over to the, there's a subdivision, PC City called Canoe Club. Anyways, we were riding over there to do uh, a job, and I said something, and he brought his wife up again, and I had been like laid on my heart for about three days that this dude's still broken about his wife and. Uh, the divorce. I don't know how. I don't know how nasty that was or whatever. But anyways, um, I was able to tell him before we got pulled up to the job. Um, it's weird how it worked out. It's like so perfect timing because like we hit traffic. We're only like three minutes away from the place, and I was like, I don't think it's the right time. I was kind of nervous about telling him that I just started this job. Anyways, we hit traffic. And we was able to like sit still for like fifteen minutes, and. I was like, all right, well, fine, here we go. <laughs> so I told him, I said, look, man, I, I said, man, I've been down some crazy roads in my life, bro. Like, I've, I've never been divorced. I've <coughs> yet, you know, I <laughs> no, I told him I've never been divorced, but um, I said, there's a, I've been through, I've been through some other stuff that I know, I know 100% um, that God, kept me alive through. You know what I'm saying? Like I know I didn't I didn't ordain this. I didn't you know, I didn't uh, make good come from this. Now I was able to share the share like a kind of like a overview of the gospel with it. I didn't I didn't break down the birth, death, the resurrection, Adam and Eve and everything, but I was able to share with him how Jesus turned my life from absolute just craziness to something that uh, where I now want him. You know, I now desire the things of him. Now I was telling him like that's how I know I'm a Christian. We got talking about like he kind of like believes in conspiracy theories and you know uh, speaking in tongues and all this all this other crazy stuff and um, and I was just telling him. Like he's like, so how do you even know what you believe is right? Like, how do you know, like, the Bible's real and this stuff and that stuff? And 
And I just told him because, look, man, what happened, what, what the Bible says, it's happening in my life. That's the only reason I know. I believe it because what, what some of these people talked about, it actually happened. It's happening in my life, and now I desire to, to, to live for something I didn't once used to. And uh, I said, that's how I know I'm a Christian. He's like, well, I was raised in church, and, and uh, this and that. And I was like, well, how do you know you're a Christian then? And he just went, like, dead silent. Like, he didn't know, he didn't know what to say. And uh, we sat there and just kept sitting there and kept sitting there. Somehow, traffic just kept holding. And he just, he finally says, well, you know, uh, through my divorce, um, I went through a lot of hard stuff. And uh, he said, during those times, God will, God will bring you closer to him in that time. And I was like, yeah, that's true, that's true. You know, I, I was... When I was locked up and stuff and gone away, I mean, that happened to me. But how do you still know your life looks more like, looks different than how it used to look? Like, how do you know that you are going to heaven? You're going to spend eternity with Jesus. How do you know that? And uh, to this day, he still have an answer, you know? So I'm praying, I'm still praying for, like, opportun- an opportunity for me to bring that back up in a way that we can talk about repentance talk about sin we can talk about forgiveness we were I was able to like leave him with how now there's a hope in my life that I didn't I didn't once used to have and I'm hoping that that kind of that helps him because I can just tell every day this dude struggles with this divorce thing and it's just he missed I guess he just missed his wife or something. and um, so I feel like it was a good ministry opportunity like we're talking about um, but there's still there's still some more that I, that I think God has in the future because um, he's just he's just a broken dude you know but um, it's a good ministry opportunity where I was able to share hope yeah, yeah. that's cool alright let's look <clears throat> look at the next one uh, eating is believing this is where we really delved into the the bread of life teaching that Jesus uh, gave to his followers. And we said that Jesus calls us to believe fully in him as a means of satisfying our greatest longings. Even though his teachings can be difficult to embrace at times, he ultimately offers us security and eternity, giving us reason to never leave him. And so we kind of bookend this uh, discussion talking about the end of this passage first in that disciples leave after this teaching, that they have a hard time embracing this teaching. And it says they walk away and they don't follow him anymore. And so I told you that we need to embrace really the severity of this passage and recognize that if we're not careful, um, we can be we can be tempted to fall away, right? And and because we believe in the security of the believer here, we would say that these type of warning passages is is what God uses to keep us believing, so that we don't fall away. But there is this severity of this passage that we need to to ponder in that. We have to take real steps to work out our sanctification, to keep believing, to, to, to respond to the ways that God's working in our heart um, so that we don't fall away. And Jesus gives them this strong teaching to show that he's the only solution. Uh, it's a hard passage because there's some aspects of his sovereignty that potentially invade upon our concepts of, of free will in this passage too. And I told you, don't run from the hard passages. Use them as an opportunity to challenge your faith and to, to know God on a deeper level by some of those difficult sayings in Scripture. Um, 
And then it kind of led into the, the next sermon, which was really looking at what Peter has to say about Jesus possessing those words of eternal life. Okay, so I'm going to skip the next slide and come back to it. Regularly meditating on the life-giving words of Jesus will help us cling to him rather than wander from him when we are tempted during times of confusion and difficulty. And so when things get difficult and confusing, we're going to be tempted to run either away from him or to him. That there's, there's two decisions there. We can either run away from Jesus when times are difficult and hard and confusing and question his goodness and be frustrated with his choices of how he's working things out, or we can run to him believing that his glory and our good will be accomplished. Um, And that's what Peter says is that I've determined that you have the words of eternal life, and so I'm not going anywhere, right? And so I told you eight things that I believe are, are words of eternal life that I hold to, right? Things that help me when when I'm tempted to be disappointed with God and circumstances or things that help me when, when the church and Christians specifically let me down or even when the world's attractions become tempted to me, tempting to me. So I said, number one, my circumstances are tied to his good sovereignty. Number two, he proactively rather than reactively works all good things for me, right? That, that he's not reacting to things, he's proactively doing things for my good. Um, Number three, my provisions and lack of provisions are tied to a great father who gives the right gifts. Sometimes God withholds things from me that are gonna be bad for me, even though I think they're good. My identity is tied to what my creator says about me. My salvation is tied to the righteousness of Christ, not my performance. My responsibility to obey is tied to good commands that protect me. My freedom from fear, worry, and anxiety is tied to a God who never leaves me. My greatest enjoyments in life are tied to things coming rather than things present. So my greatest enjoyment of life is not anything that I can enjoy right now. It's going to be tied to things that are coming down the road, right? And so I challenged you that week uh, to, to think about life-giving words that you see in Scripture that keep you holding fast as well. So we can look at that question now. Does anyone have any words of life that you find in Scripture that keep you clinging to him keep you pressing on in addition to some of the things that I mentioned? Things that are particularly special to you that you see in Scripture that, hey, because God says this, it keeps me pressing on when times are difficult. Yeah, so uh, the two verses that that are life-giving to me, uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and chapter 3 of Ephesians, and James 1, uh, verse 2 through 5 or so. So you've got um, the Father who is doing immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. So uh, my wildest dreams about what I think is best for me are fall immeasurably short compared to what the Father's at work doing. Uh, then right after that, it's uh, the Son loves me, um, more than my mind in a way that's surpassing knowledge, right? So I've got the father that's at work. I've, I'm loved immeasurably more than I can um, in a way that surpasses knowledge. And then in James, when things do go wrong, I can cling to the fact that I should have joy in that because it's producing a complete and mature faith. So all of that working together helps me to see any situation that may or may not be going how I think it should. Um, and I like that it, it keeps me believing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we've been looking at Romans 8 together as a family, um, and there's all sorts of great promises um, contained in that one chapter. Uh, but one that uh, I go to that kind of speaks to my deepest need that I have um, is Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if he's already met my deepest need through giving up his son, how can I question if he'll take care of my work situation, my home situation, my finances? He's already given me and provided for my greatest need, uh, which is an anchor for me to hold on to, so I can trust him through all the other much smaller needs that I have. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Philippians 1 6 and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ and that one helps me whenever I look at myself and I'm frustrated with indwelling sin uh, to just get a, a bigger picture of God working long term in my life um, and for me that's encouraging Isaiah 26 3 says you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Uh, and I trust him, uh, so he does keep me in, in perfect peace in situations where uh, I think uh, a lot of times I would have uh, acted in the flesh and not trust him. So, you know, I love that verse and I go to that and I've probably sent that to half the people in the church too because it's just a verse that really encourages me that you stayed on him and uh, you trust him and then he'll keep you in the perfect peace. All right, let's look at the last sermon real quick. Um, this was the this was all of chapter seven where Jesus comes back to the the the, the healing on the Sabbath and how the Pharisees are still not okay with that. And we said that his identity, seen through his word and works, should drive us to trust him and his timetables fully, which will allow us to find full satisfaction in him in a way that spills over into the lives of those around us. That um, there's a lot of discussion about who Jesus is in this passage, what's his identity, um, and a lot of questioning towards him, like a lot of minor type stuff that's being brought up to try to discount him versus just a full-on embracing of him as the Messiah. We said that his identity, when we really ponder his identity and we look at his words and his works, that we should be driven to trust him. And, and when we trust him, we trust his timetables, um, and that we'll find full satisfaction in him in a way that allows us to have our lives spill over into the lives of others. Um, and I know in talking with just some people this week, even that there's been uh, some wrestling with like timetable type stuff for God and, and being able to see his faithfulness in, in his timetables versus their own timetables. I, I got to be a recipient of somebody who's been waiting on God's timetable, and I got to be part of the accomplishing of what they've been praying for. So there's a guy who's been trying to get on staff at Trinity. His wife's already at Trinity. Uh, he's working at another Christian school in the area, and he's been trying to get on staff, and we just haven't been able to work it out. And then um, <clears throat> we kind of had a, a crisis come up, and um, we're able to come up with an earthly solution and didn't necessarily have to have a heavenly solution, but it was cool because my earthly solution for the situation was really a heavenly solution for him because it involves him coming to Trinity. And so I was able to call him up and say, hey, I've got a need. 
um, would you like to come? And, and you know, he responded and, and, and was like, man, I, I've been praying for this. You know that. But I've had some intentional conversations with my kids that are going to have to leave their school to come with me. And it's been cool, he said, because we just got back from a trip where my senior daughter, who's you know been at this school now for a couple of years now, would have to leave, that she came to me on her own this week and said, Dad, I, I want you to know that I, that I, I really feel like God's released me and, and is, and is um, made me okay with a transition to Trinity if something becomes available. And so he's like, I'm having this conversation with her. Then I get the call from you that, that this is going to happen, you know, right before school is starting. And so he was, he was even talking to me about how he's been trying to operate off of his timetable. And now here God's, you know, kind of working things out on a different timetable, but, but it's the right time. It's the right situation where his kids are ready for this move too. So it was cool for me to see that, again, coming back to that idea, when we don't see God acting specifically, it doesn't mean that he's not moving in the background, right? And so so God's been orchestrating how he wanted this guy to come on staff um, and, and brought him in his own timetable versus the timetable that we were even trying to work out for him, and he himself was trying to work out for his family too. So I um, just want to encourage you to, to keep trusting God in his timetables as we pray for things and, and, and hope for things that he doesn't always act immediately, but it doesn't mean that he's not moving in the background. We kept saying that throughout last week's sermon that we need to keep a heavenly mindset about timetables um, and not uh, grow discouraged when he's not acting in ways that we want him to act. Um, don't leave Jesus for silly reasons. Um, don't, don't look for ways to discredit Jesus or don't allow uh, minor things that somebody brings to your attention about uh, a seemingly contradictive passage in Scripture that, that would cause your, sh- your, your faith to be shipwrecked, that, that we, we keep clinging to Jesus and we keep working through challenges and difficulties and we don't turn our backs on him and you know, this has been relevant for me in, in looking at uh, Joshua Harris's situation, leaving the, the pastoral place that he was at and now abandoning Christianity altogether. We're reading in this passage where disciples are no longer following Jesus anymore, and then others who are very hesitant to even come to him for, for silly, petty-type reasons. And so um, it's just a reminder to us to, to keep trusting him and to keep believing him and um, certainly want to continue to pray that, that we as a church we keep doing that. And uh, man, today's even an encouragement to me um, because there were certainly days where we were doing application Sundays where I had to provide most of the content to to fill the time. And, you know, to hear you guys sharing so regularly about things that God's doing in your life and me having to skip over things that, that I have here for us is encouraging to me to know that um, you guys are seeking ways to apply God's word um, and are able to share tangibly ways that that's happening in your life. So I'm super encouraging to hear all the reports today of how these sermons are fleshing themselves out in your life. Um, as we've been doing, we want <clears throat> to take a minute here as we wrap up to update our board in the back. So um, we've been operating off of goals for our church, ways to kind of move ourselves forward from a vision standpoint. And um, we've got some goals that are posted back there on the left side. And then on the right side are ways for you to help us accomplish those goals specifically. And so um, kind of want to walk you through uh, where we're at on some of these things. So goal number one, we're looking to solidify uh, ministries in the area that we want to help support. Um, and Coweta Pregnancy Services is certainly a ministry that we've embraced over the years, and we're continuing to, to look for ways to help support them. And um, I'm excited because there's a couple of new ways to do that. So previously, it's been baby bottles, and it's been the uh, 5K run and the fundraiser 
gala that we do in May. Well, they've added a couple of other ways, or, or they've tweaked one way and then added another way for us. And so on September 14th, uh, they're going to be doing a walk for life, which is what they used to previously do. Um, so moving back away now from the 5K and the mile run and that type of thing. They're going to have an event at their uh, facility um, in downtown Noonan, um, some family activities, blow-ups, and they're going to have a Waffle House uh, food truck there. Um, but there's going to be a walk for life, which I like. What I didn't like about the 5K is that it was in an isolated place where nobody really saw it happening. So it's great that all these people show up to support life, but nobody really sees us there supporting life. I like the walk for life because it was typically done in a public way where people could see here's a group of people who support life. And so uh, they're transitioning more to that direction, I think, again. And so the walk for life is at 9 a.m. on September 14th. And then on December 6th, there's a fundraiser ballet at 7 o'clock. I think the gospel's presented through it. Um, I think it's got it's Christmas themed. I think maybe I was reading a little bit about it on their website today. Yeah. So, um, encourage you to mark these dates and we'll give you more details about what it looks like to actually sign up and be a part of this. But these are two dates that are coming up ways that you can participate in a ministry that we've identified as something that we really want to put our time, effort, and resources to. So that's September 14th and then December 6th. So both of those dates will be coming up. So I encourage you to mark your calendars and make plans to join us for those two events. And then uh, we want to tweak things a little bit on how we're collecting items. Um, for I-58 and for the Coweta Pregnancy Services. So we've been doing it by C group and we've been doing it for uh, every other month type of thing, but we've kind of fallen off, honestly, in our participation. And so I think there's been just a lot of familiarity where those, those bins and boxes are always back there and we keep extending deadlines. And so it's almost like these collection times are ongoing a lot and, and we're not really giving to these opportunities. And so Cortland and I talked recently, um, and what we'd like to do is, is kind of shift it to where when we have an application Sunday and we post application Sunday, we're hoping that because you're looking to go to the store and purchase an item to make for breakfast, that you'll also pick up items for either the CPS or the I-58. So just so you kind of know moving forward, we're going to try this. But Cortland and I also talked about the fact that you're demonstrating to us as we continue to work out which ministries are we going to support whether you desire to, to give to these things by your participation, right? So if we come back and say, hey, guys, we're no longer going to support I-58 in the area, the reason is is because we're not supporting I-58, right? Because, you know, Cortland's like, hey, it's, it's kind of weird to drive over there with, you know, this, this little bit of stuff to say, hey, here's what our church donated over five weeks. You know, it's like, thanks, um, if, we're, if we don't want to support it, then we don't have to support it. Like, we don't have to do these things. But, but we're kind of throwing it back in your court and saying, if we, if we want to keep doing this, then, then we have to give to it, okay? So we're going to post reminders about giving to these ministries for Application Sunday in hopes that as you're getting your food out for Application Sunday, because I know sometimes people will say, hey, those diapers are sitting in the back of my car and they've been sitting there for three weeks because when I get here for church, I just forget to grab them. We're hoping that as you grab your food, it'll prompt you to also grab some of these items and then we can donate it that way, okay? So goal number one, those are two ways for you to immediately uh, apply yourself, plan to join us for one or two of those events maybe, bring items next time we have an application Sunday. Number two, raising up leaders, okay? So we've basically been able to accomplish goal number two back there and that was to uh, appoint uh, another elder through Marcus. 
And so we as elders have begun to talk because we've had conversations with other individuals in our church that, that are praying about whether God would ever have them move in the direction of being an elder. But God's really started to impress upon my heart just a desire for, for God to raise up individuals in our church that would feel more of a prompting to teach formally on Sunday mornings, right? God has blessed us immeasurably with the elders that, that have been raised up here. But there's a, there's a unique desire that has to be there. there. There's a difference between able to teach, qualified to teach, and able to teach in, in a lot of different ways, right? Like, so I believe that Tyson teaches us every week through the ways that he constructs our worship service, through the songs that he, he selects, through the, the, the truths that he interjects as he's leading us, right? So our elders are teaching in a lot of different capacities, but for the most part, they don't necessarily desire to frequently teach on a Sunday morning. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and they are certainly fully qualified to be an elder without that Sunday morning desire. But as I was spending time at Snowbird over the summer, you know, just kind of talking to their elders, they've got elders that don't want to teach hardly at all on Sunday mornings. And then others who are itching to teach regularly that are able to come alongside Brody to where Brody's now teaching maybe half the Sundays in a month. And then these other two guys are kind of teaching as well. So Spencer's teaching, Rob's teaching. As we look to grow our church and potentially plant another church, I know we're going to have to have individuals who not only are willing to teach, not only who are capable of teaching, but desire to teach frequently that can lead in that capacity on a Sunday morning. We need elders who don't want to as well. Right, so like, it's like we, we don't need everybody wanting to teach because we want some consistency in the pulpit as well. So, as you're thinking, and, and, and we'll we'll set new goals, you know, and whatnot down the road. But but we've kind of accomplished that goal as far as we've been able to appoint Marcus, and it was a year and a half process. We want you to begin just now praying that as God leads more people to step up into leadership, that God would specifically help us raise up and equip somebody who would desire to teach on a Sunday morning. Um, frequently, not just be willing to, not just be capable to, but someone who actually desires that more and more um, so that we can help provide more opportunities uh, down the road as we expand our church, Lord willing, that we would have people who want to teach in that capacity. Does that make sense? So, so be in prayer for that, um, that God would raise up additional elders. And, and I say that specifically so that you, as a, as a man in our church, would kind of know what we desire long-term too that we're looking and hoping and praying that God would raise up somebody to fill that type of role for our church moving forward, okay? Uh, Number three, in in our efforts to to, to grow and to plant our church, uh, specifically pray for our elders regarding a possible restructure of our church and how we do certain things. Now, don't freak out and think that we're about to blow the whole thing up and, and start over with a whole new structure. But we are stepping back a little bit and saying, okay, we believe in regards to helping you guys hold fast and press on and endure in your faith, that some of the things that Hebrews specifically talks about is a need for fellowship, discipleship, and accountability. And we believe that we are doing a lot of things to provide that for our church, right? We do, we do a lot of fellowship-geared activities. We, we do uh, discipleship through something as simple as what we're, we're teaching on a Sunday morning. We've got Matt 28 nights. We've got different opportunities for discipleship. And obviously, we've got different ways for accountability, specifically with our accountability groups, right? But as we've 
sought feedback from you, and we've gotten a lot of great feedback, not just from one or two individuals, but from multiple sources about how we as a church are doing in the areas of fellowship, discipleship, and accountability. There's some consistent things that keep coming up in regards to the feedback that we get, and I want to share with you some of the challenges that we face as elders so that you better understand why we would even consider restructuring some aspects of how we do small groups and how we do accountability groups and that type of thing, okay? So let me just give you some of the feedback that we've gotten over the, over the last months, but even really over the last couple of years even, okay? Um, I'm sorry, these are small. Um, number one, sometimes when we're engaging with visitors who are looking at becoming members of our church, there's some real hesitation about what it looks like and what it means to join an accountability group, Right? For a lot of us, that's just become normal church culture for us, the, the concept of accountability. But you have somebody who comes from a church that, that's never had formal accountability structures, and that can be an alarming thing or a confusing thing or at least something to make you pause and say, do I really want to be at Sovereign Hope if I'm going to have to be, be placed into an accountability group? Because sometimes people have had bad experiences with accountability, and so um, we're, we're being mindful of that. But number two, we've also had member hesitation about visitors joining accountability groups, right? So you've, you've got maybe a, a group of people who are, who are in an accountability group and have really been able to forge a, a deep uh, intimacy with two to three, three to four other people. And then a new person comes in and it's not a lack of love or a lack of concern to, to serve the individual, but it's, it's going to create a new dynamic, right? When you come into a, an intimate setting and you're trying to, to become an accountability partner with these people who have been operating without you for, for maybe years, right? Number three, hesitations about splitting groups as we grow. Um, this has been a consistent thing that we've heard from people. As, as accountability groups grow, they lose their effectiveness when it goes from two to three to three to four to five to six to seven to eight, right? I'm a part of an accountability group that's got six people in it, and, and our accountability groups take three and a half hours to get through just so everybody has a chance to talk, we've talked about the fact it's not sustainable for us, right? Like we can't keep doing this because if we add another person, we're probably adding another hour to our meeting, right? But it's hard to split and say that we have to, we have to, we have to move people out of a group. Number four, people desiring accountability with people not in their accountability group, right? Sometimes you join, you joined a C group, you were put into an accountability group, and then six months later, you're like, man, I'm really best friends with this person over here, and they're not in my C group, and they're not in my accountability group, but that's really who I have my deepest connection with. Right? Number five, new members having to decide their closest relationships immediately. Right? So as people join, we're saying, hey, what C group do you want to be in? What accountability group do you want to be in? Because your next five years are going to be dictated by this decision. Right? And so it's like, whoa, can the membership process take longer, please, so that I know who I even want to join my soul to? Right? Um, number six, sometimes it can feel forced, required, and regulated the way that we've done it, I think. And that's some of the feedback that we've gotten from you, that instead of accountability feeling more natural and um, more organic, that it's been more forced in some ways, sometimes accountability groups just aren't working as well as we had hoped. Um, That maybe personality dynamics or just life changes, differences, or whatnot, it's not functioning as well as we would hope. Um, Number eight, uh, there's also a potential perception that we lack some structured discipleship opportunities because maybe we've been too heavy on the accountability piece, that we're very quick to put people into accountability relationships within our church, but what if I need deeper discipleship? Where do I find that? And, and do, we, 
do we help connect people for those purposes? And then lastly, and really uh, one of the things that I've, I've pondered recently is that the term accountability group doesn't capture everything we desire for that group, right? When we first created this structure of Sunday mornings, C group, small group, and then out of C group, small group come male and female accountability groups, that that accountability group was meant to encompass far more than just how was your week and, and what did you struggle with? That there was meant to be a lot more elements attached to that. We called it accountability, and then that just kind of became the, the, the thing that was the main piece of that group. And we've gotten away, I think, from the, the overall purpose that we wanted more things happening in that group. So as elders, we're, we're filtering all of this feedback, trying to figure out what are some changes that we can make to address some of these things where fellowship, discipleship, and accountability are still, still occurring, but maybe occurring in a better way than we've been doing it. Um, and I say that not to say that everything that we've done up to this point would then be wrong or we shouldn't have done it that way. I was sharing with our elders that uh, first summer I graduated high school, I was building, or I was on a construction team, and we had to pour footings for the house. So we were like the first people on the scene. We'd show up, and there's a leveled piece of dirt, and we would go to work to start the house. And what we'd have to start by doing is putting up wooden frames. So we would put stakes in the ground, two by fours, and this was going to be the the trajectory for where the concrete was going to be poured, right? And so it was basically the the frame, the structure to to basically form up that concrete. And then once the concrete was formed, you tear away that wooden structure. It's not needed anymore. I think what we've been able to do over the years with our accountability groups is we've been able to create the culture that we desire, and that's that accountability is needed and necessary to keep pressing on in the faith. But we may also be at a point now where we don't have to have the structure as much in place for accountability to occur because we've created a culture where people now recognize in our church how needed it is. So we're, we're pondering this and trying to figure out how do we as a church accomplish fellowship, discipleship, and accountability in a way that minimizes some of the concerns that have been brought to our attention by you guys? And so we're asking for your prayer in this area, that God would give us clarity in knowing how to care for each one of you and how to set you up in a way to care for each other in a way that works for, for, for a lot of our people in our church, okay? So we'll be giving you more information about that as, as God brings clarity to us. Next piece, continue to pray as we look towards renewing our lease, um, that we would get the best deal possible so that we have the funds necessary to stay here and then potentially look to planting elsewhere as well. That's been on the board, so that's not really an update. Um, Lastly, these two things are new. Number one, continue to pray for Connor. He's finishing up the summer this week, so this is his last week. He'll come home for a little bit, and then he's going back for his commitment to his year-long internship there, right? Um, Man, it would be awesome if we flooded him with ramen noodles and Little Debbie's next week because he's asked for those uh, to be sent to him. If we send them this week, they'll probably get there, beat him, or might may get there as he's leaving. So if you'd rather, let's try to bring ramen noodles and Little Debbie's next week and let him take a car full of that stuff back as he'll be feasting on um, some really healthy options, it sounds like, uh, in the off season. Um, but he did specifically text me this week and said, hey, please send ramen noodles and Little Debbie's if you think about it. So... Um, he'll be coming home Saturday, uh, Tiffany said, and then he'll be home, I think, for about 11 days. They shut down the offices at Snowbird, and then um, 
he'll be back up there. So, and then secondly, uh, pray for Stephen and Jennifer Folker in Czech Republic. Um, so pray for those two. We have committed to give our quarter three money to them um, for this year. So deacons and elders met and we said, hey, let's do this um, for quarter three. So we're giving all of our quarter three money to um, John Mark's brother and, and wife and their family as they continue to labor for church planning purposes. The reason we're in the habit right now this year of giving our money quarterly to different places is because we knew we were in a transitional year for Grace for Education. So Chris asked if he could share just a quick update about how things are progressing with some, some new things with Grace for Education. So I'll let him share real quick for that. I can understand Connor won Little Debbie's with Ben and Adam came to Uganda. They brought a Yeti cooler with Chick-fil-A sweet tea and Chick-fil-A sandwiches. That was liquid gold. <laughs> with Grace for Education, due to having probably some more surgery, I'm back here full time. Uh, and we were looking at, and I wish I had the conversion, so don't, it's not, uh, but basically we looked at the expenses of the house, of what we were investing in the house, and the upkeep of the house in Uganda, because they get all the supplies that, from China that we don't get. So it, it takes a lot, and the upkeep of the car, both of those together are about 90 million shillings, Okay. So, but tuition with our students are 22 million. So as we look at that, 90 million in brick and mortar and car, and then 20 million in tuition for uh, school, uh, tuition for the students. So um, we are, the board met, Ben and Melissa and some others met, and we have decided to, uh, very preliminary, donate the house to another ministry, um, and so uh, that took me a while because we're going to streamline our students to a vocational residential uh, school where they teach Bible and morning devotions. And it gives our students more of an opportunity to socialize with their peer groups, whereas they were living at the house, it was just them. And so with that in mind, uh, that would you know, take away Innocent and Dorothy and their family um, house and job. So that was really what I've been wanting to share this for a while, but we have more details. So, um, so anyway, we've been praying about a ministry that might be in need. I contacted Precept uh, K. Arthur Group out of Chattanooga. They put me in line with a South African ministry under K. Arthur Precept. If you're familiar with them, that's how I began to uh, study the Bible. And, and so the South African guy is named Stuart. Uh, they've been praying for a while that a facility or home would open up in East Africa, and specifically Uganda, uh, that they could use to train pastors in East Africa and other people uh, through Precept. Um, so here I was calling Innocent uh, with some other people online we had a conference call with Innocent because I'm having I mean I've been 13 years with Innocent and, um, and so that was really heavy because I was trying to figure out you know I, I, I prayed about it for a while and have been dreading this moment because in the back of my mind you know technically 
know, he could take the property, take the land, and it's his. You know, that's just how things work in Uganda. But uh, I called him. It went pretty good. I, uh, he was shocked. Um, and then I said, well, we'll call Saturday morning and um, we'll answer any questions because I know you have probably lots more questions. And so I was just, didn't sleep that night, just really wanting to get this done with him because I, I wanted to glorify God first, but I want to grow old with innocence and get off that plane as an old man, hopefully, and be able to see the generations that he sowed over there and keep that relationship. So I called him uh, Saturday morning with others, and uh, his first concern, well, what about the students? What about the students? And I said, well, we're going to streamline them to Vision for Africa. And so he was good. He was good. The second thing he said, so, like, you're not going to come visit me anymore? Like, Melissa's not going to come? Your sister and other people aren't? Like, no, I said, innocent, no, no. You know, we're going to still visit you. We're just trying to figure out, um, you know, how we can invest in lives of Uganda instead of breaking water in a car. And so uh, his first concern was the boys, and his second concern was our relationships. And he, he it couldn't have gone better that conversation. So I have a conference call with Stuart in South Africa on uh, tomorrow at 9.30. So just please pray for these steps. Uh, God is in all details and it has been hard. And um, so I just covet your prayers. Tomorrow at 9.30 we'll be doing a conference call because we wanted to donate the house uh, rather than just sell it. And just have random people there who want seeds to be um, continue to be sowed out of there. So. Yes, I have a question. If if they this organization takes over the house, will Innocent and Dorothy get to stay there? We're or? gonna highly I, I let Innocent because I tell everybody over there, students and everybody said I don't want to give you any false hope. I said I am gonna highly recommend that um, that. He continued to teach because he has great discernment. He uh, has a good sense of humor, and he teaches well. And so I think he would be an asset uh, to continue. But we'll get, but I told him, I said, I don't know, you know. But that's what we're hoping. Any other Good questions? Up. And I plan to go back in November. Hopefully. Okay. All right. Um, so normally we would do the Lord's Supper right now, but I know we are over time, and I don't want—I don't ever want the Lord's Supper to feel rushed. So we're actually going to push that to next week, so that we'll do the Lord's Supper at the end of our service next week. I am going to have um, our group come and, and lead us in one song to close out today, um, to just give you know glory and honor to Christ, because you know we've been talking a lot about application, and it's been encouraging me to hear um, how how Christ is is working in your hearts, and so. Um, certainly thankful to know that we are clinging tightly to him and that we are continuing to press uh, forward in our own faith. And so just praying that God would continue to, to move us forward in that direction. And we will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper next week uh, together as part of our service. Um, but as we close out today, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing and, and worship Christ as we leave today. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the ways that you're working and moving. Thank you for the encouraging reports 
for how you're working and moving in the lives of our people specifically. We pray that you would continue that this week. Help us to honor you and the the ways that we, we face our circumstances this week as storms and trials and difficulties come. Father, help us to keep turning to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.